So about a month ago, Alan Cross had, uh, a, I think, a two-part series on tickets uh, on on his podcast, ongoing ongoing history of new music. Uh, you remember that? You did you you heard those episodes? I think right. Uh, I heard one of them. Yeah. And so I believe they were both. Maybe they were only in one, but they had sample commercials of rock concerts. Was that in your in the episode that you listened to? Do you re, do no. you recall no. him playing? Because I... usually he'll play music. Um, and and maybe he did. I think so. Yeah. But but he also played commercials uh, promoting rock concerts. Mm-hmm. So Greg, I thought what I could do on this episode is, in the voice of those announcers, promo a festival that is coming up. Uh, so so let's <clears throat> I'm just I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little slow today that's that's okay you're in the hammer yeah okay let's see if I can do this coming this fall to the Highland Festival grounds at the Kentucky Expo Center louder than live featuring Green Day Queens of the Stone Age Pantera, Avenged Sevenfold, Gobsmack, Limp Biscuit, Tool, Rancid, Weezer, and coming back to the stage, Foo Fighters. That's September 21st to the 24th, Kentucky Expo Center, Louder Than Life. Life, life. Get your tickets now at louderthanlifefestival.com. What do you what do you think? Was that all right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think I think I might have fun with that in post. <laughs> that was good. Thank that you. Good. Thank you. Yeah. I might I might take voiceover classes and Oh yeah. And there might there might be a, a gig for me there. There might be. Yeah. Might is probably the operative word. Might, yes. <laughs> yes. Today we have John Bora coming on to the podcast. We do. He has worked with so many people. He probably knows everyone that's been on our podcast. There are a lot of people. Yeah. That have been on our podcast. Yes. That John has played with over the years. Yes. 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 And I'm looking forward to chatting with him about it. Yeah. A number of them. Yeah. So we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, check out, seriously, check out louderthanlifefestival.com. Go check out our website at welcometothemusic.com. Keep on top of our socials. You can uh, find us on Instagram. Don't ask me what the handle is, but we're there. Let me check what the handle is. Welcome Music Pod. Is it Welcome Music Pod? Let's let's double check what this is. As you can tell, we are. What is uh, it? What is it on Twitter? What I don't know what it's on Twitter. Welcome to the Music Pod on Instagram. 
That's what I just said. You said welcome music pod. Oh, that's right. That was yeah. probably our Twitter handle. Bone <laughs> game. That was that was before that was before our Twitter handle was marked as government funded. Yes. Media. Yes. And so and so we've we've stopped twittering. We stopped twittering because yeah. we were noted as government funded. No, because and we're, and pro- we're not propaganda. We're we're funded by four taxpayers. <laughs> Our wives, who are are the other two, <laughs> not 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 on the screen with us. Yes, <laughs> yes, we're funded by four taxpayers. Yeah, and uh, so we're we're uh, we are boycotting uh, Twitter, which is which is quite unfortunate because uh, at one point in time, I think for you as well, probably the best social media app. Um that I've ever used, you know, it's, it's, it's my first love and I'll never forget my first love. So there is that <laughs> louder than life festival. Check it out. Louder than life festival.com. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by radical road brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 queen street east. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hello, my name is John Bora from Toronto, Ontario. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician, and uh, welcome to the music. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, John, it's it's a pleasure to have you join us today. It's an honor for have you join us today. Um, I want to start off with, and it was my wife that actually mentioned. My wife's seen you numerous times at various festivals, and uh, she talked about you being sort of one of the the OG and an important people in the you know the the busking community within you know particularly playing in the TTC. Um, or play playing, you know, in, um, at the TTC, and I've read a few things about that. Can you talk about sort of the the, the importance of of busking and you know how you were involved in like you know yeah promoting yeah, it? Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess um, yeah, the first time I don't do that anymore. Uh, no, um, no. But uh, I mean, it did serve me well for many years. Uh, I started out basically just. Uh, you know, uh, you know, being in my apartment, sort of broke between gigs and stuff like that, thinking I'm sitting here playing my guitar or whatever inside, and why don't I, if I did it outside, maybe I could at least make some money. And and then that led to, uh, you know, trying to do it a little more seriously. I mean, you really have to find your kind of niche and 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 where to play, um, like especially if you're, you're doing it outside. I mean, not every street is a good street or maybe good for you in what you're doing whether you have a little ensemble or some people do well down by the sky dome other people mm-hmm. do well the yorkville or whatnot so um and then um and then uh you know but uh, playing so, so yeah it was just always a way to kind of like augment my income and uh you know also get some more playing time in and practicing especially when i started singing and and uh you know writing songs uh lyrical songs i should say mm-hmm. Um, 
<clears throat> and, you know, it was just, a, you know, I, I was always learning a bunch of songs anyway, you know, by other people uh, as a way to sort of get inside them and try to see how the sort of different way, ways people write songs. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I guess when you're playing outside, you're limited by the weather. Uh, you know, you can only play between certain uh, months of the year. And then there's also, uh, you know, there, you could have Friday night all scheduled that, okay, I'm going to go out on Friday night, I'm going to make some money, and it's pouring rain, or, or you show up to your favorite spot, and there's either someone else there or someone panhandling there or whatever. So I thought I would try it and, and uh, get into the TTC, and mm-hmm. um, which is something you audition for once a year, and then, mm-hmm. you know, it's something you can do year-round because it's indoors, and you have a certain amount of rights, and, uh, you know, the sound is good in some of those uh hallways and whatnot and and then that that did serve me well for for uh, several years but that did start to feel like for me personally a bit of a dead-end job you know because my, mm-hmm. my my real goal was to, you know, i was basically do that for money but you know my 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 overreaching goal was to be you know write songs and 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 you know you know make a living playing my own songs whereas mm-hmm. the subway so i i sort of made a conscious decision to to stop doing it a bit of the luster had worn off of it there's a lot of insecurity that goes with it you know you can yeah all the all the i don't mean personal insecurities i mean like un, uh, um like um like again it's friday afternoon you got your favorite spot you know everything you know should say that you're gonna have a great day and then for some reason the money's just not coming in Mm. so there's always that unknown factor and um and you know it's it's it it can be a bit thankless at times right you're gonna put up with a bunch of it could there could be i've had some of the most beautiful experiences you know just playing for the 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 general public in in, in that situation and i've had some of my most frustrating and and sort of depressing sort of experiences being out there too so yeah Mm. i can imagine was was that you know, like comedians will do open mics to 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 get started, or um, was was that was that some of your first performances live? Was busking? No, no, no. I started playing in bands when I was like fifteen. Yeah, uh, I think my first bar gig was just before, just after my sixteenth birthday, and uh, you know, it was really when I started, um, uh, uh, you know, writing lyrical songs. I'd actually, I'd been, uh, my friend Frank Nevada and I went to uh, Europe in 1991 with the idea of playing on the streets. And, and I actually brought a, a little hand drum with me to play. Hmm. I wasn't singing or, or playing guitar. And, uh, you know, we went over to Europe. We thought it would be a way to to, 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 to see um, to see the world and, um, you know, make some money at, you know, be able to pay for a longer trip. And, uh, and you know, we'd heard that uh, the people in Europe were, um, um, you know, uh, didn't treat buskers like beggars. They treated them like artists, and and that was true. We we you know that's, I, I, we made you know I made a living from music for the first time in my life, and wow. we had this uh, we had this wonderful summer, um, you know, playing on the streets of Europe and in bars and parties and everything. And but that you know I, we were playing all cover songs and everything, and that sort of you know I just sort of that that sort of became you know I, I i longed to get back to to toronto and, and start playing in some original bands again so that's what i did but when i got back i started you know learning a bunch of songs and i decided that i was going to try try to write my own lyrical songs for the first time and um and then yeah so it was just sort of a natural extension of that but when i played on the street i would never really or in the subways i never did my own songs i would always just do oh. other songs. yeah yeah hmm. 
Mm. What what songs? Greg, sorry, Greg, you you, you sent us down this. No, I was I was gonna say and, and and <laughs> yeah, no, not from the busking side, just more like you mentioned about your first gig at sixteen. I, I want to know like again, we'll probably get into you know you know your inspiration past and getting into music, but where was your first gig at sixteen? I was at a, a bar called The Turning Point on Blur Street. It was a punk rock mm. dive bar. And <clears throat> yeah, it was either just before or just after my 16th birthday. And um, yeah, I was still in, in high school. I was in grade 10, you know, had a band. And we went down and played with this other band who was, uh, you know, went to the school high school next to us. There was, there was only like, you know, one punk band for, for school <laughs> at that time. And uh and uh, yeah, it was great. It was, it was, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I playing an all ages show. It was, you know, somehow a bunch of yeah. teenage kids passing for being 19. I mean, I got served that night. I was going to ask so, you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't think they were too big on the rules at that place. Back but, then, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah that's that's one of the funny things I was asking too is because one of my first, certainly my first Toronto gig um, around the same age. Uh, and, and believe me, the music, if I told you the music we played, what the, my my first gig had no street cred, but was Lee, Larry's Hideaway. Yeah. And it was like, and I was like around the same age, maybe 16, maybe early 17. And it was just like, you know, I grew up out in Durham. So it was like, you know, just a deer in the headlights playing right. your first gig, you know, first strong gig at a place like well, that. that. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I felt like uh, when I first played Larry's that I, that I would, uh, you know, I'd sort of, you know, not hit the big time, but it was definitely <laughs> a step up from some of the uh, other clubs that we'd been playing. And, uh, you know, I, I made great bands would, would play there, right? Like, uh, yeah. you know, I saw Nick Cave there and, you know, uh, all sorts of, you know, Gary's presented shows would, would happen uh, there right away. So it felt like kind of like a more professional stage. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because we were just we were honestly we were like we were new romantic new wave. So we, that's why I'm saying there's no I can't give myself any street cred for playing Larry's Hideaway from the perspective of the punk movement. We were like we were drum machine and and probably several made jackets or something. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, it's all it's all <laughs> silly now to think about this, but all that was still considered new wave. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, doing uh, you know Zeppelin covers or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Never cooler than that, right? <laughs> <laughs> At the time, how did you get started, John, in, in music? Do you remember the first instrument that that you played? Did your parents send you for like piano lessons? How did you get your uh, guitar? Was the first started? thing? Yeah, I know. I always loved music. Always, always loved rock and roll, and um, pretty much from as as long as I can, uh, you know, as early as I can remember. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to start playing guitar. So my parents bought me an acoustic guitar and put me in uh, hmm. uh, uh, guitar lessons. I was in group lessons. It was uh, in this community center in Mississauga. And, um, you know, there's, I don't know, 20 people, two students in the class doing, you know, Mel Bay's uh, book number one or, you know, <laughs> whatever, grade one guitar. And um, <clears throat> at the end, uh, there was a test. And uh, I've never been good at, I've, I think I have what they call ADHD or, so, you know, they, they didn't have a name for it when I was growing up. It's just uh, John mm -hmm. doesn't pay attention. And, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> I don't know. The whole scholastic thing was something I never really jived with uh, in, in that sort of, th those type of settings. Yeah. And uh, I remember I got 29% on my test. 
and uh, and the teacher said to my my dad, he said, "Listen, you know, I I can't really you know put him into grade two because he failed grade one so miserably." <laughs> But uh, I teach private lessons, so if you want to start uh, bringing him over to my place, uh, you oh, know, sure. I'll teach him more like what he wants to learn. And so, so I started, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, going to take guitar lessons from this guy named uh, Brian James. And, nice. Yeah. And in terms and of then, inspiration, like rock and roll, what what uh, what sort of bands were you listening to back then? Um, you know, I liked, uh, you know, Alice Cooper, uh, Kiss, Selvin John, oh, Led wow. Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, you know, all that sort of like 70s rock, the Stones and, you know, all that 70s rock and roll or rock, I guess. And then your first band? First band was in high school uh, when I was in grade 10, uh, at the beginning of grade 10. And we, we that, that was when I first sort of got really turned on to... Uh, um, although I, I sort of, I've been aware aware of the, the new music, uh, you know, punk and stuff that had been coming out, but I hadn't quite really uh, sort of embraced it. And um, these two guys that were older than me um, came up to me once and they said, hey, we hear you play guitar. And I was like, yeah. And they said, well, we're starting a band. You want to join our band? And I, I thought, okay. And, <laughs> and they gave me uh, some Ramones records and, 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 and stuff like that. I said, this is the stuff we want to play. And I thought, okay, cool. And uh, so... So it was a cover band? Yeah. Yeah. What was the yeah, name of the band? Do you remember? It was called, uh, I think we started out as uh, The Rogues, and then it got turned into Blind Impulse or something like that. <laughs> Both pretty terrible names. But, um, I like singer Rogues. Played. Rogues sounds pretty cool. <laughs> but the, yeah, we did like Ramones, Teenage Head, um, you know, all that, that kind of, you know, early punk stuff. Yeah. And was that the band that you played with? Uh, at the turning point, it was yes. Yeah. Okay, so how like how long were you were you guys together, and when did you start uh, playing or, or writing original original songs? Uh, okay, so um, I was with that group. Only lasted pretty much, I guess, the year that I was in grade ten. No one else in the band really had any uh, aspirations to do. You know, like uh, the the drummer went on to be a you know football star and. Um, so I guess, and, uh, yeah, I guess we only played together sort of for, for the, that school year, maybe, and into the summer, there was a band that lived in my neighborhood. I grew up in the suburbs of Toronto and, and there was a, there was a group that had, uh, they'd all been kicked out of their parents' house. They'd gone to the, the neighboring high school and they were living in this house, uh, near where, where, uh, you know, okay, closer to the, the school that I was going to. And uh, they would have these parties and it was, you know, all the jocks and everything would would would, would go there. They called it the punker house. Right. It was this yeah. bizarre place where, you know, there was people are, you know, uh, you know in their, in their te teenage people living in a house with no parents and and having these parties with a band playing. And um, that band that I had been in, um, you know, we did we played at one of their parties and then uh, and then they, they were looking for they needed a bass player. And um, um, they asked me if I wanted to play bass. And, you know, my buddy Kenny was playing drums with them. And, um, yeah, they were the first people I'd ever met that um, wanted to do music as a career, you know, as a living, as something, you know, not just as a, a hobby. And uh, that's when it sort of hit me that, um, wow, that maybe I could do this. Maybe this is something that I could actually do for, uh, yeah. you know, my job. Did you? Did you play bass before or? No, I, I played, I was playing guitar before. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
I was just intrigued by the by the offer, and you know, I wanted to play with. And like I say, they they inspired me to. Mm. It, 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 I'd never really considered, like at that time, uh, you know, it seemed like you had to be so good to be a professional musician. I mean, I grew up I grew up in the seventies where, you know, people were writing operas, and and you know, every, everyone had this great technical proficiency, and that that was never me. I mean, I just I really loved it, and I could bash out some chords and. And um, punk sort of opened that up that, like, mm -hmm. you know, that's all you need really is that mainly the love of doing it, the, the desire to do it, uh, work hard at it. And, and um, so, yeah, it seemed like a, an, 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 an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. What well, was, was there a, I'm, I'm curious, John, was there a, a punk scene? as you were getting started or was, or, or were you part of that, um, part of that group that, that, I don't know, brought punk to yeah. Toronto? Well, in, in Mississauga. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a punk scene in Toronto. We're talking about the early eighties for me, like 81, I guess. Um, when I first started playing in that band, yeah, my, my, my high school band. So, I mean, punk was already a thing. But it hadn't really reached the suburbs. Like, uh, I mean, there was like a, there would be a few people at each school, right? You know, like we were the four people at our school, and uh, and then you know, the the kids the kids who had this 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 house. I mean, there 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 was more of a scene at that school, but no, it was very minimal back then. And yeah, I was definitely one of the first in, in my school to be listening to that. Can you um? Can you? One of the questions I'd love to explore with you, and I know you've. There's a video from CIUT that I, I saw. Um, I think with the vile tones was that yeah yeah right from the CIUT. CIUT. Um, yeah. Can you talk about the importance of CIUT, CKLN, and in a way the spirit of the radio back in the day in terms of you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, well, um, as I'm sure you can remember, there weren't very many avenues to find, uh, you know, this was, the music was all very underground, you know, that term alternative. I mean, it really meant it was an alter, everything was an alternative to the mainstream, right? You couldn't, uh, you know, you had to go to find special record shops to find the records you were looking for, you know, like the record, the record peddler, records on wheels, uh, um you had to you know look in special magazines that would be writing about the bands that you're interested in and there were very few um radio outlets that, you know um in toronto there was uh ckln c uh, iut came along a little later i think they started in 86 or 87 mm -hmm. and uh and then there was of course brave new waves which was a cbc show that ran from midnight till six in the morning and uh that was a lifeline you know i remember wow. uh, I, I mean uh, uh you know um, you know, lying in bed while still living at home, and uh, you know, in, in this, in the, you know, the the very plain Jane suburbs, you know, you know, getting uh, all this cool music from from England and the states, and and hearing about all this this cool stuff, and also local mm -hmm. local bands. I mean, the first time I ever heard, uh, uh, well, not the first time, but you know, you'd hear, uh, you know, Vital Signs and Stern Group mm -hmm. and uh, Ramp Boys, and you know, some of these these bands that were you know uh, playing you know just local bands playing in bars and um so uh yeah see i mean ciut i'm sorry ckln was the first station that ever uh played some music that i was in uh, it was a band called the neon rome which uh, was from 84 mm -hmm. to 89 that's the first band that i was in that ever made a record and in fact they, they started playing uh we had a tape we opened for the jesus and mary chain 
at wow. uh, RPM. And it was their first in 1985. It was their first um, their first North American tour. Definitely their first Canadian date. And um, I don't even think they had a full length record out. I think they only had a couple singles out at that point. And uh, our sound person, uh, Mike Dent, uh, made a recording. I mean, RPM was a bigger, it, it later went on to become the government. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that big building down uh, on Queens Key there. Um, and at the time, it was a gigantic uh, sort of New York style dance club. It was heavily decorated. They would have a theme, like they had a JFK theme. They literally had a a, a Cadillac hanging from the ceiling with the with the you know him being shot. That you know whatever oh go go stages and mm-hmm. this is one of those enormous like uh, New York style nightclubs. But they would also have the Garys would put on shows there. And Elliot Lefko had a had a night called Independent Wednesdays that was a showcase yep. for independent bands. And um, so. Uh, yeah, our first Gary show was was opening for the Jesus Mary Chain. Our, our sound person, uh, Mike Dent, he made a, a, a board recording. And, and one of those songs from that board recording somehow ended up at CKLN and they started playing it. And it was getting played on the radio. And then it was actually on the charts on uh, Nerve Magazine had a, uh, had a had a had a CKLN chart. So yeah, it was it was great. I got you know, and the, my first interview on the radio. I was I was working uh, uh, at Eaton's at the time, and I actually convinced my boss that um, and, you know, I had to, he had to let me go for the afternoon because uh, because it was so important. This was so important that I didn't want to miss this radio interview because I'd never been on the radio before, and you know, it sort of seems silly now, but I, I must have made a good enough case because he let me go, and uh, so. So it's vitally important, vitally important. Um, you know, that's like they uh, CKLN used to, um, um, you know, present some shows from Neon Rome. Neon Rome is a band that I was in that first started, you know, like made a record, first started making any sort of noise in terms of, you know, generating a decent following and, and you know, sort of known and respect by our peers. And uh, CKLN would present some of our shows, which meant they would do a little commercial for you. And, you know, August 12th, uh, go see a Neon Rome at, uh, at Larry's Hideaway or whatever. And then uh, CIUT, um, you know, r- you know, is still going strong today. Uh, I just I was just on a, a David James show last week. And, um, you know, I listen to C- CIUT every week. There's some great shows on there that I still uh you know i love to listen to you know one of the last places where djs get to program their own music yes. pick their own stuff and you know they got some great uh, there's some great shows on ciut and uh, wow yeah, yeah monday from 12 till uh 12 to 2 is uh steve fruitman's got a show called 335578 uh the next uh, tuesday from 12 to 2 um uh is a dr month dr mouth's uh Rock and roll lunchbox is just both two amazing, just phenomenal uh, DJs. They both like play a really eclectic mix uh, of stuff, and they're, they're they clearly love what they're playing. There's always a lot of yeah. background information, and uh, yeah, so. Oh, that's amazing! That that's I, still going mm-hmm. on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah. perfect. I, I was going to ask you, you know, the ways that you know Greg. Greg and I talk about, you know, what we used to listen to and he would, you know, talk about all of these radio shows that he would listen to on uh, The Edge, CFNY, Spirit of Radio. Um, And, you know, I never had that upbringing myself, but I I would hear friends talk about staying up late night and listening to to the radio and, and discovering 
discovering like quote unquote new music discovering bands from England or the States or wherever the case may be. Um, and it's obviously changed nowadays, right? Where people are listening to um, Spotify playlists um, and mm-hmm. not so much discovering new music, but um, listening to, to songs that they're familiar with. Uh, yeah, or- I, 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 would, I would argue though people are discovering music through some of those platforms. I, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't use the Spotify myself, um, but uh, yeah, I imagine the algorithms are always suggesting things, new things for you. So I do imagine there's a certain element of discovery there for sure. Yeah, but I mean, you're not discovering music that you'll you'll never you know you know what I'm saying. Like if you listen to hard rock, you're going to discover hard rock, right? No. Right. Well, I mean, the algorithms are there to yeah. to sort of feed you new stuff, but I think the difference is that everything is available to everybody. Now. That's right. As back then, you had to kind of go to that special record shop or, or yeah. tune into that um, radio station or radio show that uh, that would be uh, you know playing the you you know the, the DJ would be playing stuff that uh, you know along the lines of what you'd be into, and so it was sort of curated to a certain degree. Yeah, and it's amazing. And, and you couldn't just get that everywhere. You couldn't get it yeah. everywhere or anywhere. It had to be mm-hmm. specific kind of places. Yeah, it's great but to hear. I, Sorry. That you're discovering music, you know, still through some of these radio stations. Yeah. That uh, that you know, when we were kids, when we were you know youth, we we would a lot of our peers and us would would go to the the station and and listen to what's what's up and coming. Yeah. And uh, and 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 what's new. Um, I think the whole menu thing kind of bugs me. Like the whole mm-hmm. uh, you know, the idea of. Uh, you know, you know, you used to channel surf, and you know, you'd sort of come across a show that that that's yes. interesting. I wasn't really looking for a documentary on um, whatever sea turtles, but this looks interesting. <laughs> and, uh, whereas now you have to sort of you have to make that choice before, right? It's all based on these menus, and and you know, I find the Netflix things very. Uh, I'm a, I'm kind of old fashioned, I guess you could tell, but. I do find it a bit of a disconnect, but you know, you have to sort of, you have to go to it and choose it. You can't, you know, and yeah, it's like just flipping through your record collection and then, Oh, something catches your eye. And so you put it on. I I look at this, I have this little player that I use when I'm doing sound. And sometimes I just look at it and I'm like, ah, there's thousands of songs on here. But if, if I'm not thinking, you know, you just can't, it's it's not that uh, um, user-friendly to just scroll through and just, you know, let something pop out. I have to sort of think about it first, decide what I want, and then use the menu to go and, and select that. Whereas, uh, I don't. There was something to be said about, you know, knowing that, you know, on a f- Thursday or Friday, a, a record would drop. And, right. you know, whether you're in Mississauga or Durham or Scarborough, uh, you'd have to hop on public transit or get a ride from maybe mom or dad and, and make the trek down to uh, Sam the Record Man or, you know, or a place like that. And and sometimes you'd, you'd line up, other times you'd get in and you're rifling through um, and you'd ask the cool kids behind the counter, you know, what's what's the next, what's the cool thing I should listen to? Um, right. Or even concerts, lining up to buy tickets yeah, at yeah. concerts, right? There was, there seemed to be an effort and I think that effort translated if i'm going to make this investment of time to go and get this um and money 
Yeah, and money. Yeah. When you're buying a record, right? Yeah, I'm I'm going to you know it, there was something about that, but now it's yeah. like a you know a couple of clicks and you know all of the music ever recorded is at your fingertips. It seems that yeah. you know we listen to music now and it's in the background. You know, it's not we're not sitting. We're not. I remember reading even on on CD inserts. You know, reading all the lyrics as the song would play. You know, um, nowadays, yeah. you know, a lot of us don't spend a lot of time really sitting and, and listening to, to music. Yeah, well, I agree. I agree. You know, yeah. when I was young, I'm like, what did you do last night? Oh, I went over to so-and-so's place. We sat around, you know, smoked a couple of reefers, listened to some records. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. it like we had five other things going on and music playing <laughs> in the background. And music was in the background. You know? Yeah, you know, yeah. What I mean, it is the times. I don't mind to sound like a complete uh, you know, um, you know, old person <laughs> what it is, but that, you know, I think there was something to well, you know, that investment that you're talking about. You go to a record store and you're deciding between this record and that record. Yeah. And you decide that you're gonna plunk your your six or eight dollars down on, you know, choice number A. And you get it home and you put it on and it doesn't blow you away right away. And you're like, oh, maybe I should have got the other one. Well, that you, you, you've you just spent, you know, eight of your hard-earned dollars to buy that record. God damn it, you're going to play it more than once, right? Yeah. And then sometimes, sometimes some of my favorite records, you know, you know, it wasn't until like the third or fourth listen that it really, really grabbed me. And then, you know, I would listen to it every day for a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but if, uh, you know, with, 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 uh, if, if I hadn't made that investment, plus you could only listen to what you had on your person, like in your house. You didn't have, you know, now people rent, um, you know, uh, access to basically a library that has everything in it. Whereas, you know, you could only choose from the records that you had in your collection. Or That's if you true. A friend's place, you could only choose from the records that they have in their collection. And, and so maybe you gave those... Maybe you listen to them more and and uh, each each record more and became more um, you know uh, you know it was a much more deeper sort of experience and got yeah. to know the records a lot better. That's true. Uh, listen, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh, I know it's it's uh, it happened in in Q four of last year October. You you released two uh, two new uh, uh, out. Well, one is I guess a re release. Yeah, uh, and another was a release. So cassettes in common, yeah, uh, came out. So congrats on that. And then you also uh, re-released. Um, was, was it your first? first? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, <clears throat> so cassettes in common is a record that I put out in the fall. It's a covers record. Yeah. It's all songs by people that I know or have known. Um, you know, there's uh, like. Uh, Bob Snyder, Keith Whitaker from the Demics, uh, you know, uh, Frank Nevada, Ron Sexsmith, Art Bergman, Kip Harness, just, just all songs by people I know. Uh, a lot of people aren't very well known or, or you know, some of these songs sure. had a brief release in, in uh, or a small release many, many years ago. And uh, I realized that the, the through line for that was that a lot of these songs either first came out on a cassette or I first heard the Monica cassette, so um, so that's why I called it cassettes in common. Yeah. And then um, my first record, my first solo record, only ever came out in cassette. It never uh, had a digital release. So I thought uh, it would be a good uh, you know, opportunity to finally digitize that 
and uh, you know, it sort of had a, a bit of it. It's also the 25th anniversary, I guess, since it had been 25 years since oh, I put it wow. out. So it just seemed like a good excuse to to sort of finally issue that uh, in digital form. Yeah. So, hmm. so, so the cassettes in common album. Um, did you set out intending to do a cover, a cover album? Like, how did that come come to be? Uh, well, <clears throat> it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. Some of these songs uh, I've been doing for a long time. There's a song by uh, a guy named Sandy Filto, who used to have a, a group called The Hacks, which uh, only ever put out one cassette, which was in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, we've been doing, uh, in my, put my band, uh, my John Bora band together in 97, right, right around the time that my first tape came out. And, you know, we I've been playing one of his songs, a song called Sunken Glue. Ever since, uh, there's, uh, you know, a Bob Snyder song that I've always done. Um, you know, there's some just other songs by people that I've always thought were great songs and, and yeah. should be recorded, like a song by my friend Frank Nevada. And, um, yeah, so it's uh, something that I've always wanted to do. And um, I guess the pandemic seemed like a good time to do it, right? I, I put my I put out a, a record of original music in 2020 just before the pandemic hit. Mm. and um yeah i don't know about you guys but i don't know i just wasn't feeling super i you know i wasn't sitting around in the pandemic writing tons of songs i tell you you know it was a bit of a i wasn't super inspired I was sitting around looking at my walls of my apartment for for, for ever so i thought uh maybe it would be a good time to record some of these songs i, yeah. I originally thought it would be just sort of an ep but you know next thing you know i had uh, 10 songs and it was a full-length record so nice mm. yeah. um so a, a few guests that that that, uh, that show yeah. up on this album, uh, whether you recorded their songs or people that you played with, um, so Ron Sexsmith, Art Bergman, both of them have been on uh, this show, and then uh, Mike uh, Boguski. Boguski, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, from um, Barney Bentall. I know yeah. you played. I played one of. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, um, <clears throat> well, Michael Boguski plays piano. He plays in my band. Yeah, yeah. So that's why he's he's on all, all the tracks. He plays piano and uh, accordion or organ in my band and has for um, uh, many, many years. Um, Barney Bentall, um, he's not on this record, but I did. I played bass no. on a couple, uh, yeah. on one of his records on a couple songs. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like how how like it's it's fascinating when I see these names of people that you've you've played with uh, songs that you've covered of theirs. Um, I, I guess the question I want to ask is, um, you know, whether you are, you know, working with people like Mike and Barney, um, or covering songs from from Art and Ron. Um, what what is what is that sort of camaraderie uh, of of hmm singer songwriters and, and musicians uh like for for you and, and your contemporaries uh well i mean i can uh so i started out as a bass player and um i still do some bass playing but um i shortly after neon rome broke up or even before that i started playing in other people's bands as, as a side person so um i've always said uh, you know, there was a period where I've always played with other people. I've always kind of been, been in a whole bunch of bands at the same time. So yeah. that by very nature, you know, you um, 
you know, you, you, you play with other people. I mean, music is a very, um, it's very not, I mean, I guess that is competitive in some regards, but for the most part, everyone's sort of doing the same thing. And, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, I've always just had a lot of, I've, I've always been very busy. I've always uh, had my hands in a lot of things. So I guess with that, comes uh working with a lot of different people getting to yeah. you know a lot of different people and um you know i like i used to play in ron's sexsmith's band for a few mm-hmm. years and i uh, played in kip's band and all sorts of you know things like that and um so i don't know it's just it's a natural camaraderie it's like you work with people and you know music is a um you know when you're playing in a band and it's ensemble playing you, you know you're playing together right? it's, it's a team sport uh yeah you have to right you you know you, you play together you know if you do this someone else does that another person that does does the other thing you put it all together and it makes you know it, it makes a you know a, a bigger thing yeah and so it's it's a very uh, collaborative uh, um, sort of pursuit anyway and mm-hmm. um, um yeah like i say i've always i've always uh I've always worked a lot. I've always played in a lot of different bands, played with a lot of different people. So that's just a natural byproduct of it. As far as like choosing the um, the songs to cover, that's just sort of sheer fandom on my part. Yeah. I just love this song. I think this is a great song. And, and I mean, I did, you know, I mean, I tried to, you know, it wasn't that hard. I mean, there was a lot of these songs that I knew I thought were great songs, but were not widely known by, um, even you know by by people i mean there are some more uh, well-known names like ron saxmith and, and art bergman but uh, a lot of these a lot of these people on here and it's just it's just cheer like hey that's a beautiful song that's a great song yeah and i mean that's just part of the folk tradition that's just part of the art tradition you you know um you know uh, you know someone writes a song someone else thinks it's great so they they play that song and then you know it it, it takes on a new life and so, but that that was just strictly me just loving the, these particular songs and, and wanting to do them. Nice. That's great. That's great. I mean, it, talking about work with a, a number of people, and you mentioned about bass, and again, we were joking earlier about me in my hotel room in Hamilton, and you mentioned Teenage Head earlier. Uh, I was watching a video with you playing, I think it was bass with Cheeto Chrome, and... Uh, Cheetah Chrome. Cheeto? Did I say Cheeto? Wow. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Cheetah Chrome. And uh, I know you had, I know you also played, I think Gordon Lewis was on that. Um, yeah. Well, getting choked up here. Can you share a bit about Gordon, his importance? Oh, well. Everybody? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it could be overstated just how important Gordon Lewis was and Teenage Head were to uh, all those first wave punk bands you know are really um you know they were their um uh pioneers right you know there's a difference between pioneers and settlers pioneers mm-hmm. tend to you know cut the cut the way through the forest and or the jungle and the settlers sort of come in afterwards and and um and so it's a much much so i i have great reverence for for all the first wave bands but teenage head for me specifically because like one of my very first bands was, you know, sitting in the basement learning teenage head songs, right? I mean, the drummer would be, we'd be at the stereo and kept moving the needle back, and I'd be there trying to figure out the chords, and the singer would be there trying to figure out the lyrics. Okay, can you put it back again? Can you put it back again? And and um, so yeah, playing with Gord was a great, great honor. And in fact, um, so 
I guess what you saw was, uh, so I, I played a group called The Screwed, which is, uh, we're a, just oh, yeah. a punk cover band. It's just a fun party band. Uh, Cleve Anderson, uh, myself, uh, Steve Koch used to play in the Demix and the Valtones, and mm -hmm. I named Steve Saint. He used to be in a band called The Sinisters. Um, that was about, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, 15 or more years ago, we just thought, oh, let's just put a band together to do all first wave punk songs, all the songs that really, you know, got us turned on. You know, when we were when we were when we were younger and um you know we'll do faithful versions we, we're not going to try to put our own stamp on it let's just play the songs that we know and love and um we so we would uh we would back up cheetah chrome we did a number of little tours here where cheetah would come up here uh, cheetah chrome from the dead boys and mm -hmm. uh, we would be his backing band and we would do a bunch of dead boy songs and and some related stuff like mc5 or whatnot and um and then we would be would be his backing band and that led to uh um whenever we would play a hamilton show uh gord would come up and uh because gord and cheetah knew each other from you know the the, the first uh first wave days of the mid 70s and and uh you know gord would usually sit in on a couple songs and, and and that so that's what you saw there but we actually uh gord actually um he, he subbed in for our guitar player the screws guitar player uh, steve koch one time because uh well, a couple times he did but because uh, steve couldn't make it a gig we had this gig and so um we rehearsed in our drummer cleaves uh basement and so uh gord drove in from hamilton and i had this just wild weird moment where i was like okay i'm in a basement <laughs> the drummer's basement doing teenage head songs like like I did thirty years ago, except for this time it's with Gord Lewis, right? <laughs> and it was that's crazy. Like, so again, that's a, you know big, my fandom. I, I mean, I love teenage head to this day. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, I I still listen to them. I still think they're one of the greatest uh, bands this country's ever produced. And yep. um, terribly, terribly sad. Um, uh, yeah. And board the way that that all, all went down, and I don't think that'll ever stop being, um, you know, something that mm -hmm. we just, yeah, yep, yep, awesome. I hear you. yeah. Thanks for that, John. Shut thanks for sharing those memories, yeah. really appreciate it. Um, I'm wondering if you might be able to play a song for us, sure, yeah, sure, blue wine. I'm drinking blue wine ever since you left me. I'm drinking blue wine over you. I'm feeling empty and broken in two. You took me with you and sent me word through. I took you for granted. Left me blue. Now my heart is swollen over you. Cause I'm drinking blue wine ever since you left me. I'm drinking blue wine ever since you said goodbye. I'm drinking blue wine ever since you did reject me. I'm drinking blue. Over you Stay with me darling 
one more time Just give me one night, give me one day He picked the place, I bring the wine Don't you leave me here this way Ever since he left me, I'm drinking blue wine. Ever since you said goodbye, I'm drinking blue wine. Ever since you did forget me, I'm drinking blue wine over you. John, we, we have a segment called Lost Venues. Yes. Um, I don't know whether it's the, you know, over time, venues are going to come and go. Uh, yeah. But it seems over the past few years, um, we, we seem to be losing more and more of these places. But um, I'm wondering if you can share a story of, uh, of a lost venue, uh, a place that doesn't exist anymore that you hold fond memories of and, and maybe a uh, a, a fun uh, or not so fun story from one of these places. <laughs> yeah, well, um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. I thought of Larry's Hideaway when you uh, you mentioned I, when you first mentioned this. I thought of Larry's Hideaway. Okay. Which was, uh, um, uh, you know, like it was a, I mean, it was a, it was a music venue underneath a, a hotel, and uh, not the nicest hotel in town <laughs> actually they, they ended up they, they, what i think that what finally had them closed down the official the official reason for closing it down was because it was a body house right which uh, oh like b-a-w uh d-y right yeah and um so yeah there's a lot of uh, you know prostitution and, and drugs and you know whatever going on there to the point where i remember um you couldn't even get a cab to stop in front of Larry's hideaway, you know, I remember thinking like, you know, half, you know, an hour ago, I was on stage, packed room full of people, <laughs> you know, cheering at me, you know, telling me how great I am. And now an hour later, I can't even get a cab to stop for me out front. I just, it literally, sometimes, sometimes they'd, they'd sort of drive in and then just like, look like they were going to stop and then just keep going. And, um, uh, but one, uh, yeah. So it, it, anyway, so, when you played there, they would give you, uh, it was one of the rooms would be your dressing room, right? It was <laughs> the same one, but it was one of the sort of the, uh, the hotel rooms would be your dressing room. And, um, you know, there's like cockroaches and you'd hear all sorts of weird sounds, um, you know, various, various types of sounds. But one time we were sitting in there uh, between the sound check and our stage, and we heard a, the sound of a baby crying. Like, not in oh. not in distress, like it was being beaten or anything, but just the sound of a child 
crying, like an infant crying in that environment, like literally made the, the hairs on the back of our necks stand up. The whole room just sort of went silent. And, you know, it was one of those places where no child should be in that place. It didn't sound like they were being abused or anything, but just the fact that there was there was a baby, you know, in this you know, den of iniquity was uh, was chilling. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, I've, I've often told the story where to me, we were in our change room and this guy gets up, the door opens. This guy comes out in his underwear, scratching his balls, walks to the washroom on the other side, takes a piss and goes back. And we realize our change room is literally his uh, his apartment or whatever it was, hotel room in, <laughs> in at Larry's. Right. It's like anyway, right, right. that story you shared, that story you shared. That just that that just took it up a whole other level because it's like you, 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 if you didn't live it, you would not believe, right? What went down yeah. at Larry's? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So on the flip side of it, I love to. I mean, I know you just did. Um, I think you just did a gig at Sellers and Newells. Is that yeah? Just yeah, the other day. Yeah. Um, what I find really interesting, I'd love to get your 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 thoughts on is, you know, as much as we're losing venues, we have these sort of new types of venues, if you will, like so yeah. as Newell's and, you know, even Cops, which is a record store out in, I mean, they've got a couple, but the one in the Schwa that I know Will's running out in Oshawa, you know, you're starting to see this sort of um not, I don't know, not not makeshift, not underground, but sort of these these venues that weren't necessarily wouldn't have necessarily been venues before but they are now i'd love to get your view on sort of that sort of new well, new type of establishment um well first of all uh the, the show we, we did at sellers and Newell's, a small little bookstore in uh, on college street in toronto and um the guy uh, who owns it peter sellers has been um, he's been doing shows there for several years. I think since yeah. 2015, he does these uh, anything but poetry readings. Funnily enough, mm-hmm. um, but uh, and I actually had a show set up with them for May 2020, but of course that got canceled because of the pandemic. Um, and we were talking about rescheduling it, but uh, Gary Top, who was one half of the great, uh, you know, the Gary promoters, brought every great show. Uh, to town between you know the mid seventies to whenever they they stopped doing it you know every every great show I saw was was a Gary show um, I've known Gary for years and he pulled me up and said that uh, you know he's not doing any uh, he's not you know he's not promoting as much stuff and he he only wants to do shows at uh, at this place uh, Sellers and Newells it's just, it's just super intimate and it's a really neat sort of um i think that we sold it out it was sold out i think that was like 35 tickets or something like that and that and everyone was pretty crammed in there and um so yeah it was really yeah very cool um i you know it's funny um yeah, I do like these these sort of alternative uh, venues, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I first started, and I'm sure you all remember this too, there was lots of, uh, you know, there was, uh, like, Last Call in Toronto was 1 o'clock. And so there was this whole um, speakeasy, uh, you know, after hours culture that yeah. would happen. It was going on, like, literally. I, I, I um, And so it played a lot of places like that, you know, warehouse spaces where... Um, uh, you know, people live there, but, you know, once a month they, they have a party and they have some bands or there may be an art show or, you know, sort of different. Uh, 
there was a lot of those again that sort of underground you know uh everything was literally kind of underground it was off the beaten track you know it's even some of the venues that we'd play like all i did so many booze cans i went to so many booze cans right uh where there was there was music going on and and they were all uh you know illegal and you had to uh you know, some places would either have like, you know, they would have the bar in the, in the freight elevator. So if the cops came, they could just lower the freight elevator down to the next floor and get rid of all the booze. And there was always that threat of the cops showing up and, and closing it down. And and they were always in some sort of dark part of town, you know, where you had to sort of, you know, not literally know the password, but, uh, you know, close enough to, uh, you know, knocking on the door and the, the thing, the little shutter goes across. And, um so I mean, it does, yeah. So that, that that sort of thing that we're seeing, these sort of pop up uh, things, it does remind me of that a bit. And um, yeah, I, I like to I like to see that. I think it's great. Yeah, that's cool. It's funny even you're talking about that. I thought, I was thinking of back when like Queen West of Bathurst was way out there. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's hard to, to, to yeah. Queen Street, that Queen and Spadina at one o'clock in the morning was was Deadsville. I mean, it was like tumbleweeds going down the walk, you know, like going down the street. There was no, uh, you know, there was only a few bars on there. There was no other type of. Uh, there was not cars and, and lights and, and places open. I mean, it, it was really desolate on there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so, John, one of the questions I'd like to ask before we wrap things up is. Um, what are you listening to lately? And whether it's new or old, what are you listening to lately that people should be checking out? Um, well, you know, I've been sort of listening to a lot of, um, I don't know, older stuff lately. I've been, um, uh, what have I been listening to lately? I guess uh, one thing I discovered recently, this is 30 years old, but uh, is that group Massey Star? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I'm digging them throughout most of the 90s i was really um um you know that's where i was really doing it discovering um you know roots music it was around the like early 90s when i first started writing lyrics and all that so i started really getting into you know hank williams and and um you know um just that whole the carter family and the sort of the, the roots a lot of old blues and and things like that so i was really listening to tons of that stuff and not really keeping up on a lot of uh the current music that was that was out at the time so i missed a bunch of bands and mazzy star is one of them and i think they're great i've been really digging them um what else have i been listening to uh you know I, I bought the new um you know the bob dylan's latest uh um basement uh sorry bootleg series which was uh on his uh, time out of mind record so there's an alternative mix in that a bunch of different uh outtakes and things like that um uh you know and then uh you know rediscovering some stuff like uh you know i have this little i, I do sound uh, i like the new sadie's record i've been loving the new sadie's mm -hmm. record listen to that a lot um i have this little music play. i do sound at uh you know i work as a sound person as well live sound person at larry's at uh, the horseshoe and and lees and and i have this little oh. this little player that i have music on so i've been sort of populating that with a bunch of stuff that i i, I used to listen to on vinyl and so i'm just going to the itunes store and, and buying some of that stuff so you know revisiting some like patty smith and the mc5 and some of my dear old you know favorite stuff nice that's great that's great and uh by the way just before we wrap up i want to you know do, i do want to thank you for the song trigger um change of heart oh. i just want to 
just want to throw that out. Amazing tune. I was, I was out of the scene by that point, but, uh, but, uh, you know, starting, I think I was starting to have kids at that point, but, uh, just amazing. I mean, thank you. Well, thanks. That was, that was a great period of my life playing with, with those guys, you know, I went back a long way with Ian and, and, um, you know, we had a lot of, I'm very, very proud of that record that, uh, yeah. tell me about the record and, we had some pretty uh pretty memorable um times when i was in that band awesome. great great. Awesome. thank you john thanks so much for your time mm. uh before we let you go um if people want to download uh your your newest stuff uh access it find out more about what you're up to where where can they go where should they go oh uh, well, they can always go to uh, johnbora.com my website and that's got links to all the stuff but uh yeah i'm on all the uh you know the streaming platforms um you know spotify and whatnot or if you want to buy uh actually buy the music you can go to Bandcamp. there's uh you know you can order uh you know physical copies or you can also buy digital uh downloads and um yeah my uh the record i put out in 2020 was uh is a vinyl release so that's in a few record stores around town um uh, rotate this grasshopper records um Ford cummings got it at his shop out on um uh, ronsonsville there that is great. awesome okay uh any and of show- course at my shows you can always uh, yeah get, always get my uh, music at my shows and you're still doing the weekly sunday matinees are you yeah every yeah. sunday at the the communist daughter with, with uh, yeah. sam ferrara otherwise known as uh, screaming sam um he's a first wave uh, punk guy vile tones and the ugly um him and i have been playing together we've been doing that sunday matinee uh for almost 19 years wow every sunday from five to late and uh, we've been having a guest do the middle spot uh, pretty much every week these days so uh, it's not just us playing but um you know there's some always some it's a curated in the sense i you know i, I only uh generally book people that i know and that i like and i think you know are good and so that is cool. That's so that's the communist daughter from 5 p.m. till 8 p.m. Yeah, every Sunday. And then Sunday. I, I have a residency at the Cameron with my band on the first Saturday of every month from 6 to 8. And that's in the front room of the Cameron. All right. Various other things around. Good awesome. stuff. It's great. Great to see you're active as well. Uh, well still, yeah. still playing live. You know, that's uh, mm-hmm. that's one thing that uh, uh, that's amazing. So, so, so thank, thank you for the live music. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thanks for helping. Thanks for your end. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. Thanks, John. My pleasure.